0: Okay guys, so as you all know, we are working our way through the Calvary Chapel distinctives. And uh, this has been such a blessing for me, as I have already said. I'm not going to go back through all the the history that I did last week. Um, And I covered, I think, what was it, four. I was planning on doing, uh, what, seven or eight last week, and I did four. So I'm going to slow it down a little bit, um, but I'm thinking we'll get through this in about two more sermons. And so today, well, let me just say, last week we talked about the centrality of Jesus. Jesus is the main thing. We are Jesus people, and it's all about Him. It's easy to get distracted by that. We can't do that. We're grace people. If you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, then grace, you understand it. It's something that we walk in. It's something that we give out. We are grace people. Love. When you have Jesus' people in a grace place, love ought to come naturally. We, we uh, are so grateful for the love of God. And again, this is something that we walk in and we extend graciously to others. And we talked about the Scriptures. Obviously, this is a hallmark of the Calvary Chapel movement. We are all about the Word of God, teaching verse by verse, book by book, cover to cover. And so I, I kind of walked through all of that last week. And so now, today, we're going to talk about doctrine... We're talking talk about the Holy Spirit in Calvary Chapel. We're going to talk about the rapture of the church. We're going to talk about balance. And we're going to talk about atmosphere. Atmosphere. And so, doctrine comes from the Scriptures. Understand that. Doctrine is important. and uh, If you'll just follow along with me in these verses here in your notes. Titus, this was a young pastor Paul was writing to. In fact, Titus and Timothy both. So in Titus 1.9, he says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And there in 1 uh, 1 Timothy 4.16, he says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So we are a doctrinal church. We are heavy in doctrine. And, and what does that mean? What is doctrine? Well, it simply means teaching in its most basic sense. But it's, it's systematic, it's organized, it's categorized theology. And, and what is theology? That's another word that you may hear me use often. It simply means the study of God. So when we consider uh, God's eternality, He has always existed and always will, or the love of God, or the mercy of God, or we talk about uh, the Trinity, that is theology, that is doctrine. And so we consider doctrine to be very important, and our doctrine comes out of the Bible. That's why we are so big on the Bible. We look to the Bible to, to formulate our beliefs. The things that we stand upon, the things that we preach, our authority to preach those things come from the Word of God. When I speak to you, I can say, thus says the Lord. I am prophesying in a sense because I am saying, thus says the Lord, and I can speak forth His Word. And so we take doctrine very seriously. It's important to know what you believe and why you believe it. That's very important. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. And doctrine is not a bad word. And there are a lot of people out there who would say that it is. They say doctrine is divisive. Doctrine divides. We want to be about unity. We want to be united. And doctrine does nothing but divide. That's what they would say. And that is that's bad. That's wrong. It is divisive in a good way. There need to be clear-cut distinctions. You understand? There are certain things that that I cannot waver on there are certain things that I have to stand firm upon there are certain things that that if someone else believes it, you can't say you're a Christian alright if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that he is the the only way unto salvation then we have a real problem there's a real issue there and so it's important to have doctrine at times we need to have clear lines of boundaries you you following me you tracking with me and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute I'm going to kind of show you as we move through this lesson a little bit about how doctrine works its its way out practically for us in our study of the word of God so we may be contemporary we are a contemporary church we're contemporary in our style our dress our worship but we are very traditional in our doctrine. I would say that we are fundamentalists. Some of you in here might think that's strange to say that we're fundamentalists. Uh, to say that we are fundament- fundamentalists just means that we believe in the core tenets of, of the Gospel message and of the Bible. We believe that there is one God and three persons, the triune God. We believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to seek and save the lost, to die for the sins of the world. Uh, we believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the literal death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We believe that He will return again. We believe in the miracles of the Bible. That makes us fundamentalist. Now, there are some Christians who call themselves fundamentalists, and it, it looks very different. And that's because um, early on in the 1900s, there were people who came along and they, they could not reconcile how you could uh, believe in the Bible, believe in the miracles of the Bible, and be an intelligent person. And so they would say that uh, the miracles are not true. They are um, they're good stories. They have good moral points, um, but it's not actual fact. It didn't really happen. And so the, the birth of liberalism okay they began to have a, a low view of the scriptures and they began to deviate from the authority of the of the scriptures and so there were people who rose up and said no 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 we believe that the bible is truth hundred percent truth literal from cover to cover and they were known as fundamentalists. you understand and so what happened however in time is the fundamentalists began to uh, really create a lot of rules and regulations uh, dress code a bunch of do's and don'ts, and they, they began to take on kind of a harsh, a harsh look, and they were, uh, became very legalistic. And so when we hear fundamentalists, we think of like um, independent fundamental Baptist. And the town that I'm from, where I, I grew up, this was very real in the culture there. And so um, Calvary Chapel, for instance, um, a lot of those churches would not have fellowship with us. There was a, a really popular university in that town, and uh, they had a lot of influence on that town, a Christian university. And if you were a Calvary Chapelite, you couldn't even go to that university because of our music. We had drums in our music and our, our dress code. And so that, in some sense, is what people think when they hear fundamentalists. They think that. And that is simply not the case. Fundamentalism is exactly what I just said. We believe in the core tenets of the Scriptures, the fundamentals, fundamentals of the Scripture. And that's, that's what we are. That is who we are. So it's important that you know that. It's important that you understand that. We take a hard stance on on things. We know what we believe, why we believe it. We are a very doctrinal church. And having said that, I want to move into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk particularly about the baptism of the Spirit. This is a doctrine that we, that we hold to here in Calvary Chapel. So I want to read a few scriptures and show you how we have formulated this doctrine. So John chapter 14 in your notes, verses 15 through 18, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and He will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So here Jesus is giving the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's telling the disciples that at the appointed time, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's not going to leave them alone. He's not going to leave them as orphans. Well, in John chapter 20, after Jesus has risen from the grave, He meets them in the upper room. And this is what he says, chapter 20, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say. Some people don't think that when Jesus breathed on them, they literally received the Holy Spirit right there. But I I just don't understand how you can read that and come up with anything else. Jesus said, you know, peace be with you. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And that's important. I'll get to that in a second. Well, in Acts chapter 1, there in your notes still, Jesus speaking, he says, For John truly baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now but you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the end of the earth so jesus is telling them that the the holy spirit will come and that they're going to receive the holy spirit they're going to be baptized by the holy spirit not many days from that point And we know that in Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what happened. I think most of us are familiar with that story. They were all gathered together and all of a sudden there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind and there were tongues of fire that rested upon them and they began to speak with different tongues. And I'm, I'm going to get more into that, guys. We're going to go into Acts from here. And as we work through the book of Acts, I'll, I'll really get more in depth on all these things. But for today, I just want you to understand what we believe. And I'll give you a little bit of why we believe it. But I, I don't have time to camp out on that today. So we believe that the disciples had the Holy Spirit. And then something extra happened. Something different happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came and it... Fell upon them, they were baptized with the Spirit. And so, having said that, let me just tell you guys Calvary Chapel, we are a charismatic church. I don't know how many of you know that. We are a conservative, charismatic church. And to say that we are charismatic, that means that we believe that the gifts of God, the gifts of the Spirit, particularly the sign gifts, are in operation today. And so there are a lot of churches that are charismatic churches, they're under that umbrella and there are different extremes. You have churches that are are hyper charismatic and you get in their church service and they just go bananas. I mean, it is a a wild show. I don't know what else to call it. And they say it's in the name of, of the Holy Spirit being in that place and they're operating in, in the gifts. So they would say, and I mean, they're running circles in the sanctuary and, and just going ballistic. And I would say that is not correct. That is not what we are. We are conservative in, in this respect. We do believe that the gifts, the sign gifts, prophecy, word of knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues, those things are still in operation today but they have to be done decently and in order so we're conservative in that sense we're charismatic but we are conservative we are continuationist that's that's a word that would describe that to say that the that the sign gifts have ceased tongues and prophecies things like that you would be a cessationist that's what they call that if you believe that those things ceased with the apostles and in the early church and that they are no longer in operation today They are cessationists. We are not. We are continuationists. We believe that those gifts have continued on. I keep referring to the sign gifts because all Christians, most Christians would agree that many of the gifts are in operation today. Teaching, helps, mercy, so on and so forth, administration. There's so many different gifts, practical gifts, but the sign gifts, those supernatural kind of spectacular gifts, the miraculous gifts, uh, many would say that those have ceased. They're cessationists. So we're not. And we believe in something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I referred to that when I read in Acts. And this is something that we as Calvary Chapel have always been marked by uh, throughout the history of our movement. And I will say this, that in a lot of ways we have gotten away from this. I I recently heard it said that we as Calvary Chapel are uh, professing continuationists, but we are practicing cessationists. Because we have become so conservative in it, people don't operate in these gifts at all anymore, seemingly. And so in some ways, I would desire to see us back uh, as as it once was and, and not afraid to use the gifts because the gifts are necessary for the edifying of the church, for the building up of the church. And if we're holding back our gifts, then the body is suffering as a result of that. Well, we believe that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. If you And see, some of those more extreme charismatic churches would say that you're a Christian, but you can be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. That is false. We believe that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit kind of function in three different ways, uh, particularly in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit comes alongside someone and convicts them of their sin. When a person confesses Christ and asks forgiveness for their sins and, and puts their trust in Him, the Holy Spirit comes within them. That is the point in which they are born again. Conversion has happened. They are regenerated. Uh, They are a new creation in Christ. They are filled with the Spirit. But then we also see this word upon. So often in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer. And we believe that is a separate work. And it is something that we ask for. We ask the Lord that He would baptize us. And it doesn't necessarily mean anything crazy is going to happen when you do. Some people have had some pretty uh, extraordinary experiences when they pray for the baptism of the Spirit, and many people don't. And that's okay. We're not, the Bible doesn't tell us that it ought to. We just believe, because in, I believe, Luke chapter 11, Jesus talks about how God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And He's particularly talking about if Human earthly parents know how to give good gifts, us being wicked or evil compared to God, yet somehow we still know how to lavish blessings on our children, right? How much more will our heavenly father give good things? Our heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So this is something that we seek and we believe that it is for the purpose of serving the Lord more boldly. And that's what we see here. He says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is an additional work of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of really serving the Lord boldly and walking in the fullness of what God has for His children. Amen? And so we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now this would be an example of doctrine. This is a doctrine that has developed and you see how we did it from the Scriptures. And we put that together and that's how we develop the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So we can tell you what we believe and why we believe it and why we do what we do. And why we don't do the things that we don't do. Because certain things are being done in excess. It is not right. And so um, I want to encourage you guys. If you have not been baptized in the Spirit, if you haven't prayed, pray. The Father desires to give good things. The Father desires to give the Holy Spirit to those who would ask. Now, let me just say this. The Holy Spirit, His main ministry is to point people to who? To Jesus. Exactly. So don't forget that. That ultimately is the Holy Spirit's objective, to point people to Christ. That's why we we keep our focus on Christ. And I will tell you that a church that is truly Spirit-filled is a church that is going to be truly Christ-centered. Does that make sense? So one of the marks of the Holy Spirit being in this place is we're a Christ-centered church. We're about Jesus. We are looking at Him. We are worshiping Him. We are seeking to please and honor and obey Him. We are a Christ-centered church being a Spirit-filled church. And so we'll talk more about this uh, here to come as we get into Acts. Um, But this has been something that has been true of the Calvary movement from the very beginning. We are a Holy Spirit-filled church church. We believe in the baptism of the Spirit, the, the operation of the gifts. And let me say this, um, you don't usually see people speaking in tongues in the sanctuary. We don't necessarily believe that this is the best place for that to happen, uh, particularly while the teaching is happening, because we believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking right now as the Word of God is being uh, spoken to you guys. So, for someone to stand up and and to have a tongue, it seems contradictory because the Holy Spirit is not going to interrupt Himself. The Holy Spirit is speaking, but we have something called afterglows. And Calvary Chapel has this is something we've had. They have little booklets on them. We have several up in the in the office. And this is where believers would gather, or a believer's meeting they might call it. They will gather after a service. And this will be a time where it's just believers and it's a safe environment for people to function in their gifting. So someone may sing a song, someone may share a scripture, someone may speak in a tongue and uh, there would be an interpreter there Uh, and the gifts are, people are free to to operate in their giftings and that is a safe safe place to do that. And so uh, that's something that we will be doing here in time and so... More more on that later, but we are a doctrinal church, and we are a Holy Spirit filled church. You good good so far? All right. We believe in the Rapture. This is uh, well. Let's just read these scriptures. This is something that has been very true of Calvary Chapel from the beginning. 1 Thessalonians four seventeen and 18. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So here you have it. That word caught up. There's the word from which uh, we uh, derive uh, rapture in the Latin. It's, uh, it means snatched away snatched upwards. Matthew 24:42 through 44. Jesus speaking says, "Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect." So this is truly a distinctive of Calvary Chapel. This is something that we hold to and that we preach often. The soon return of the Lord. The Lord is coming for His church, the rapture. As I said before, this is heavily debated in the church. Not everybody holds to this. Even in this assembly, there would be some people present here who don't necessarily hold to the pre-tribulation rapture. And that's okay. This is one of those areas where we can agree to disagree and still fellowship, and and we're all Christians here. That would be a non essential. Okay? It is a distinctive of Calvary Chapel, but it's a non essential to Christianity. People do fight over this, they do debate, it does get heated, and that is so unnecessary. This is meant to be something that comforts people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18 said that. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We look forward to the day when our Lord returns. We eagerly await His return and we believe He'll return at a time that nobody knows. This is, in my opinion, the most consistent view with what Jesus said here in Matthew 24 when He said, watch because you don't know when. Here's the thing, guys. Nothing has to happen for the rapture to happen now. The Lord could come for His people today. And I know that is the hope of of many of us in here. But if we believe all the other end times events have to take place first and the rapture comes after, then we can, at some point in time, be pretty... uh, We can be pretty sure well, the Lord's not going to come back today because all these other things have to happen first. And those things will be obvious when they happen. So we don't really live with a sense of expectancy. We don't really live in a sense of uh, urgency, right? Because, well, we know He's not coming back today. All of these other cataclysmic things have to happen first. So I do believe that this is most consistent with Jesus' warning to the, to the disciples and ultimately to the church. Now i didn 't always just automatically buy into this. This was the first thing that I learned as as a Christian, where I was discipled, but there came a point where I thought, well, maybe that 's not necessarily the the truth and I did my own study and research with an open mind and and I kind of landed here. I said, yeah, it makes sense to me. I do believe that the Lord will return and he will call his church up to himself before God's judgment is poured out on this earth, before the, the Antichrist and, and all hell breaks loose. Jesus will come for his church. And so we believe in that, in the rapture. Um, in the early days of Calvary Chapel, namely in the late 60s and early 70s, and even in the, the 80s, man, people really lived like they believed this. Um, I, I told you guys I'm listening to the Chuck tapes, Pastor Chuck teaching through the Bible, and it's interesting to hear him talk about current events uh, because it's so much older. And so he'll, he'll make a reference to Carter or Reagan, and, and he did a good job of not getting overly political, at least on the tapes. And so um, I remember at one point he was talking about how the church was bursting at, at the seams. I mean, they, they could not house all the people and they were having multiple services, just thousands and thousands of people. But instead of building a large, larger property, um, building, at least at that point in time, they felt very much led to spend that money on getting the gospel out because they really believed the Lord was coming back any day. And so that... Is really the objective. We call that the purifying hope. That is how the Christians are supposed to live. And I believe that's how the Lord has desired every generation of Christian Christians to, to function and operate. We really live in this place where we believe the Lord could come back. That would really have an effect on how you live your life. If you really thought that the Lord was coming back today, I mean, if you really believe that, what would you do? What would you not do? I've been in situations where in my, in my Christian life where I was so far from the Lord, I thought, man, I hope the Lord doesn't come back right now. Have you ever felt that way? I'm sure there are some people in this room that, that, that resonates with you right now. And then there are people who, who have that hope. They're just ready for the Lord to come back. They've, they've had enough of this, this world. They're tired. They're hurting. They're broken. They're eager for the Lord's return. And, and that is a hope that we have. And that is something that has always been so real in the Calvary Chapel movement. And it, it's not so much anymore. The younger generations, it's not something that you hear so much anymore. And what's interesting about that is that's actually a sign that the end is getting near. People stop thinking about it. They stop t- uh, talking about it. They don't really believe that it's, it's going to happen. You know, they talk about how Jesus talked about how in the end, it'll be like the days of Noah when they were they were uh, being married and given in marriage and eating and drinking. When we hear that phrase, the days of Noah, we think, oh, like it was bad, it was terrible, debauchery, sin, and that's going to be a sign of the end of the times. Things are going to be so bad. That's not what it's saying. It's saying it will be life as usual. Everybody's just going on about their business. They're not looking up. They're not thinking about the end. They're not thinking about the return of the Lord. They're just marrying being given in marriage eating and drinking being married life is good they're just moving forward they've stopped waiting they've stopped looking up and so that's an interesting thing to consider but ultimately this is supposed to provoke us to a holiness and to an eager await of the lord's return that purifying hope so we have always hold, held to the rapture and and we still do all right moving on talk about balance we are a balanced church. Where the Bible speaks plainly, so do we. This is something that we, re- we really strive for. When the Bible takes a clear-cut position, we take that position and we hold to it unapologetically. But where the Bible is fuzzy or it's, it's not so clear or there are, are multiple possible interpretations we try to uh, kind of hold a neutral ground. We try not to get boxed into to a corner or polarize ourselves when it's just not necessary. And I can give you a good example of this. Uh, Calvinism. Calvinism and Arminianism. I think most of us in here know what that is. I won't go deep into that today. But Calvinism, it, it just comes from uh, these doctrines or ideas that the Lord has, has already determined who would be saved and that there really is no choice in the matter the person will be saved and then there are other people who have not been chosen they will not be saved and it's a lot more complex than that but that's just kind of one part of it and then there is the other side arminianism and they they have a totally different stance and there's really two different extremes they believe that it's it's all completely free free choice and and free will and As I said, I don't want to get into all the different nuances there because it's a very complex system of belief on both sides. Well, we don't claim either because we believe that the Bible kind of teaches both. It's one of those mysteries. There are verses where it would indicate that God chose before the foundation of the earth. He chose. We've been predestined to adoption. But then there are verses like in Hebrews where it says... You know, if you hear his voice today, don't turn away as they did in the rebellion. So it sounds like we have an option. We have a choice. We can hear his voice and turn away. And he's saying, don't. So what is it? And so the, the way I tell people is when I land on a text that, that teaches that God chooses, I will preach that God chooses. I want to be biblically informed in the way that I address you guys. And when I land on texts that say we have a choice, then I'm going to preach you got a choice and you better make the right one. You better choose, right? And so we try not to polarize ourselves when we don't need to. We try to have a nice, balanced middle ground. And people do put pressure on. on, People don't like that. And I I had a a brother recently. He's a staunch Calvinist. And he he calls it the mushy middle. That's what he told me. You and the mushy middle, you know. And, and so there is that pressure people don't like that and so there is a time and a place to take a stand and we definitely do that but then there are also times where we take the, even the idea of being charismatic I told you that there's one extreme where they say those things have ceased altogether and there's another extreme where people are swinging from the chandeliers and we're right in the middle we're, we really aren't claimed by either side we're not Baptist or Pentecostal we're Bapticostals. you know and and so we we believe in balance. We don't want to just preach on one thing all the time, right? We that's why we believe in teaching through the Bible because that way you guys are going to get a nice healthy balanced diet. I'm going to talk about a number of things. Really, I'll cover every topic there is to cover if I just teach through the Bible and you'll get it in in a nice uh, a nice well-packaged even uh diet. And so uh, that, that's how we want to be. We don't want to be overly dominant, always harping on on one thing. And um, and I would just say this, you know, uh, in the essentials, unity. We want to be unified in that. But in the non-essentials, charity. You know, um, we don't have to back people in a corner. We don't have to box them in. We don't have to feel boxed in. Just charity, generosity, patience, and understanding. We want to be balanced in our approach. And lastly atmosphere atmosphere um will just talk about what i mean by this so a couple different verses and I, I do mean a couple of different things here so you might wonder how these scriptures connect and they're not intended to and so i'll just explain it so let me read these verses to you first samuel 6 17 but the lord said to samuel do not look at his appearance or at physical stature because i have refused him for the lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance but the lord looks at the heart the lord looks at the heart 1 peter 3 3 through 4 do not let your adornment be merely adornment be merely outward arranging the hair wearing gold or putting on fine apparel rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of god these two verses were intended to go together. And this is kind of talking about the idea that God looks at the, the inner man, the inner person, the heart. We get really caught up on the outward things. Alright, now a slightly different angle here. Psalm 27.1, and I'll explain this too. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So the atmosphere that we try to have at Calvary Chapel is we try to be... Um, casual, and we try to be relaxed. and I, by that I mean two totally different things. Casual is referring to these first two verses. We don't put a lot of emphasis on externals. We don't put a lot of emphasis on dress code, uh, things of that of that nature. Um, the you know, this is a more traditional kind of a building here, but Calvary Chapels come in all different shapes and sizes, and uh, we are very casual in our, in our dress and in, in the way that we, we uh, worship the Lord in church. And that's okay because we believe that the Lord looks at the heart. That's what's important to God. We could be very well-dressed and we could be in a very ornate and traditional building and our hearts be so cold and so far from God. And I know that because I've been there and done that. I told you guys I've, I have been in different circles and I've experienced different ways of doing things and I've been in some of those fundamental churches and uh, women had to have their, their heads covered and men better be in suit and ties. And, and so I was good with that. I think that if you're going to fellowship at a church, you should kind of do what is the norm. You don't want to be a distraction or have some sort of a rebellious spirit about it. You know, You just kind of blend in among the people. So when I was there, that's what I did. And I liked it. I liked wearing the suit and the tie. And I was a woodworker and I was in a dust shop. And so I was just a dust ball all the time. And so come Sunday, I get my suit and tie and I thought, man, this feels good, looks good. And that's all I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking about the Lord. I wasn't thinking about I'm wearing the best I have for God. I was thinking, man, I look sharp. You know, and it's like, what does that have to do with anything? And I told you, I went to another church That had a real mix. Some people dressed up, some people did not. They kind of gave you the freedom to do either or. And so at that time, same, very well dressed. And I would just kind of look down my nose at people that weren't. And there was this one guy in particular, I told this story recently, I won't go into it, but he really grated on my nerves for uh, many reasons. And I just remember one day I was looking at him and I was just snarling. I mean, I felt like I had foam coming out of my mouth. And it just occurred to me, what is wrong with you, man? You're all sharp in your suit and you hypocrite and you're snarling at your brother over here and uh, you know he's worshiping the Lord with all of his might. And so I just say, we don't believe that the outward thing is all of that important. It's a matter of the heart. How's your heart before the Lord? Other than that, we have freedom. We have freedom. Come as you are. And, and that's another thing. People feel welcomed in Calvary Chapel. They feel like they can come as they are. And that was... The case with the hippies in the very beginning, that was the whole idea there is that it was a place where hippies could come as they were, long hair and all. That sounds like such a strange thing. But as I have studied back into this, that was a huge deal in that culture, hair, long hair, man, the the conservative straight edge people hated long hair. It's such an odd thing for me to think now, all men that is. And so that was a big deal. So hippies were, they could come in with bare feet, long hair as they were. And, and they were embraced. They were accepted. And we've been criticized for that. I told you that a well-known pastor said that the current state of the church and the struggles that we're experiencing is all Calvary Chapel's fault. It all stems back to the fact that we were the first church to let the culture dictate how we were going to function. And so out went the ties, and in came the long hair and the hippies. And now look at where we're at today. and It's all Calvary Chapel's fault. And that's, that was a choice that we made knowing that we would be criticized. Well, we could not turn away thousands and thousands of people who would never step foot in one of those other churches. And we've seen the fruit of that. We're a relaxed, casual atmosphere. We believe in modesty. That's the key, modesty. Okay, and so we don't want to stumble our brothers or our sisters. We don't want to dress inappropriately. And I could say guys can be just as guilty of this, as ladies and so it's very important you can dress casually you can come as you are but keep that in mind be considerate of brothers and sisters that you dress appropriately in a way that is honoring to the Lord and to those around you amen so that's the stance that we take we are a real casual we have contemporary worship drums guitar music not a lot of hymns and I know some people love the hymns and wish that we did more hymns and I totally understand that I get that uh, but, but by and large, it's just a, a real pouring your heart out to the Lord and, and a relaxed, casual kind of atmosphere. I keep saying casual. I don't want to be casual in, the, in my heart. You understand? I, want to be, I can be casual in my dress, but I want to be reverent in my heart. I want to have devotion for the Lord. I want to have fear for the Lord in my heart. Um, and so uh, make that distinction. And now on the flip side, um, the, the relaxed atmosphere where it says, unless the Lord builds a house, they who labor, labor in vain. There's not a lot of hype here. I don't know if you noticed that or not. We don't have a thermometer on the stage trying to get money in here. We're not preaching all kinds of messages on money and passing plates. We're not putting forth all of these strategies. We don't have hype men up on the stage trying to get you up out of your seats Uh, we we don't we're not trying to manipulate or manufacture any kind of devotion or worship we want God to build his church and we want the Holy Spirit to be the one that convicts you that encourages you that moves you to a place of worship and devotion and even to giving to the Lord that has to be of the Lord you have to be led in that by the Holy Spirit of God so we're not here to to pump pump you guys up and be the all-time hype men Um, And that's a struggle because sometimes I look around and think, man, we are pretty lax, not relaxed, lax. I mean, sometimes I feel like we are one step away from a funeral in in here, you know, and I'm I'm saying that lightly, you know, I'm not trying to put a trip on anybody. Sometimes I think maybe I need to get up here and start running back and forth on the stage and, and hyping you guys up. But ultimately, we don't want to fall into that trap. The Lord is going to build his church and we don't have to stress about it. We don't have to sweat about it. We don't have to agonize. That's a weight that I cannot bear, and I wouldn't expect anyone else to bear. And the Lord doesn't expect us to bear it. The Lord said that His yoke is easy, His burden is light. If you're feeling an unbearable burden, the Lord didn't put that there. You put that there, or you let someone else put that there. We're not here to put that there on you guys, okay? So we believe that the Lord is going to do His thing to the glory of His name and for the furtherance of the kingdom by His Spirit and through His Word. Amen? And so we don't have to to, uh, be um, over the top. I mean, we're relaxed in in our approach to the Lord and and how we care for each other and minister and serve one another. And so we'll we'll stop there. Those are five more distinctives of Calvary Chapel, things that we ought to see happening in our church. And um, Laura's going to come up and close with the song. I was thinking through this, you know. This is quite different than how we normally do things. You can come on up. And so I don't, I don't want you guys to just be in an ac- academic study here. I hope that your hearts are being encouraged by this and that it's helping you to understand how you fit in here and what we're about. And are you doing these things? Are these things true of you? Are they true of us? And I would say, you know, from this message, I want you to take away the Holy Spirit. I want you really to prayerfully consider in this song, How, have you been baptized? Have you asked the Lord to pour His Spirit out upon you? And the Scriptures say that we ought to be regularly really praying that we be filled with His Spirit and uh, that we would be continually being filled. So we, we do that. We pray regularly. Lord, we, I need... Fill me. Fall afresh on me, Lord. I want to be uh, led by Your Spirit and filled with Your Spirit. And we are a... Holy Spirit-filled church. So uh, let that be the cry of your heart. Let that be the meditation of your heart. Let that be your prayer in this closing song. Yes? I out an email in regards that we could give donations here at the church and those would be taken to the Bible. Okay. Yes. So um, there was an email sent out about donations being sent here. We'll get them to the right people. Thank you. So let's pray. Father, we love You and we praise You. We thank You for, uh, for Calvary Chapel. We thank You for this wonderful work that You have done, God. And it's so neat to be a part of it. And uh, we love all of these different distinctions, distinctives, things that uh, we embrace as a movement. And uh, particularly, I, I uh, think of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that You would pour Your Spirit out upon us in this place and that we would be a Spirit-filled church, a Christ-centered church a church that is filled with the fruits of the Spirit and that we are loving each other and being patient and kind with each other and walking in the Spirit, Lord. And so I thank You for these things. I pray that You be honored as we close with a song. And I pray that You would bless all the people here. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.